Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. We trust that you will enjoy today's message and that it will encourage you to grow deeper in your relationship with Christ our Savior. Who's excited to be in the house of the Lord this evening? Okay, the other four of you will be excited by the time we leave. But I'm really excited just about being able to talk about finance in church. You know, it's a little bit weird, and I completely understand it, that in church there's one thing that we're not allowed talking about, and that's money. We can talk about anything as long as we don't talk about money. And the crazy thing is that if you read your Bible, you'll understand, and you might, if you like, analytically minded, you maybe even want to go do a study about this, but I've got a strong suspicion that the Bible speaks more about you and your relationship with your money than anything else. There's no other topic which the Bible spends more time on, is more deliberate about, than our relationship with our money, but then we come to church and we think, as long as the pastor doesn't speak about money. That's the one topic where where God can't go, where, where God sort of isn't allowed. And I can completely understand that because... If I was the enemy of the kingdom of God and I understood the power of what would happen to the church of God if they had healthy relationships with money, that would be my first target as well. Because the reality is that as we go through life, maybe think back today, virtually every decision you made had a financial implication. Virtually every decision you made had some sort of money angle in regards to the decision that you had to make. As we go through life, there are a whole bunch of different relationships that we need to negotiate. We need to negotiate our relationship, obviously, first and foremost with God, the most important relationship in our life, with God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We need to negotiate our relationship with our neighbors and the people around us. We need to negotiate our relationship with our spouse, our husband, or our wife. We need to negotiate our relationship with our colleagues and our co-workers as people. We need to negotiate our relationship with food. Some people, that's a really tricky one. We need to negotiate our relationship with our televisions. We need to negotiate our relationship with our studies. We need to negotiate our relationship with our pets. Everything that we have regular contact with is some form of relationship, some way in which we relate to them. And one of them, which is obviously crucial, is the way we relate to our money. And I love just the concept and the, the idea of money. I should, I spent seven years of my life on it. But anyway, so whenever we go overseas, I sort of try and keep some of the money. It's not always successful, because normally I just give it away in the airport or something. But last year we went and did a, a pastor summit in Malawi. We've got some Malawian money here, and earlier this year we were in Rwanda and Tanzania. Got some of that money lying around somewhere. And this is really cool money, because this is honeymoon money from the Bank of Mauritius. And I don't have any Australian money here, but if you felt Australian money, it's weird. It's like plastic. It's like fake, like everything else Australian, you know. And this is pretty cool. This is Nigerian money, Naira. Are there Nigerians here? Are you Nigerian, Ellie? This is 20 Naira. It's worth like one rand. And this is 50 Naira. And Michal was with us when we were over in, in Nigeria a couple of years ago. And we stayed in this really dodgy hotel. And then we had to go and ex- exchange our money for Naira. And we didn't know what the stuff looked like at all. So we take our couple of US dollars and we trade them for Naira. And we walk out of this really dodgy place in this dodgy hotel with a black bag over my shoulder, full of money. But that was pretty interesting. And here I've got real money. This is almost real money. Real money is like pounds, but this is US dollars. This is like almost real money. And then I've got some really cool money. I know you can't see from over there, and you see like Superman, but... This one says $10 billion. It's real money. It's not fake money. And if that was really cool, then wait till you get to this one. 
we can put that up there, maybe they can see it. No, it's, for some reason it's not working at all. It's blurred, it's just... Anyway, I'll get a... It's not me. I'll get a, a better picture for you at some stage. But this is like Austin Powers money. $100 trillion of real Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe, Harare 2008, Dr. G. Gono, governor, serial number, $100 trillion worth of money. Is the second photo a little bit better? A little bit. The top one is $100 trillion. The bottom one is $1. The amazing thing about this Zimbabwean worth absolutely nothing money is, I was saying in the first service, an advertising company made a, a billboard or a couple of billboards where they actually made the billboard was Zimbabwean banknotes that they took and they just glued it to the billboard. And they glued it in a way that kind of had some message. I can't remember what the message was. And they won a big international prize for that as well. And what came out on the other side, it was cheaper for them to take the banknotes and glue them to the billboard than to print the image. But where it gets really cool and really freaky at the same time is over here. I have 50 United States dollars the United States of America, in God we trust, $50. Over here, I have $100 trillion from the Reserve Bank of Zimbabwe. What is the difference in the two? Someone said very sharp in the first it was $50, because this one is worth $50. But apart from that, $100 trillion, $50. What is the difference in value between these two pieces of paper? Is there a difference of value? If you had to pick one, which one would you rather take? All the carnal people would take this one. I'd take this one. Because how often do you get a $100 trillion banknote? You can imagine mini-me, $100 trillion. Okay, here we go. You know? This is just so much cooler than any... You, I mean, how many of these are there in the world? There aren't very many of these. But anyway, apart from that, do you know what the difference in value is? The difference in value is whatever you think the difference of value is. This one doesn't have any value. It did at one stage, because there was a $1 note which you could buy stuff with. I remember when, we, when I was at school, we had a holiday up in Zimbabwe, and we, we used some dollars, like one and two at a time, and we bought stuff. And then a couple of years later, they said, yeah, you can have $100 trillion because I can't do anything with this anyway. It's worth absolutely nothing. The only difference is how much we think this thing is worth or this one is worth. And that's a bit of a mind shift for many of us. But the reality is, let me keep them both here so you can see them. Right at the beginning of this finance seminar, as we start thinking about finances and what God would have to say about finances, is when you arrive at eternity's door and death is just a mystery or whatever and tears are no more, do you know which one is going to be worth more? Which one's going to be worth more? Neither. In the same way, as just in a couple of years, this became absolutely worthless. If you could time travel, you know, and go with one of these to Zimbabwe in 1998, you could buy the whole of Zimbabwe. <laughs> but just a couple of years later, it's worth absolutely nothing. And a good reality check for each one of us is just as we go through life, to never forget this image, that this could be 500 or 5,000 US dollars and this is 100 trillion dollars but in eternity they're both worth the same both of them are 
the currency and a deemed value that we have at some stage for a very short period of our lives. But then we move to eternity and all of a sudden none of this means anything to anybody. I'm wanting us today to speak a little bit about the value of money. The power of money, the importance of money, whatever you want to call it. And for those of you who have a little bit of an academic background in this, I'm not going to speak about money in the strict sense, in the technical sense of the term. I'm going to talk about money in the way engineers talk about money. You know, just money, wealth, riches, material possessions, whatever else you want to call it, all used interchangeably in the same way. Money referring to wealth, money referring to riches, in that sense. And as we speak today, we're going to see that money from a godly point of view, has no value, but is of utmost importance. It's very important, but completely invaluable, in eternity as well as on this earth. But before we start with that, gonna, right at the end, we're going to sort of close off with that, and then we'll take up the offering, and this will be like the longest offering message you've ever heard in your life. But just some fundamentals, just obviously today I'm going to start sharing with you just a a little bit about money and about finance. And then next week we'll carry on on Saturday morning from 9 to 1. Michal will be doing a couple of sessions and Dion will be Dion from Billion, who's at the first service. He'll be doing some sessions. We're going to be speaking about saving and investment, just biblical worldview, biblical point of view around that. Michal's going to be speaking about just how do you glorify God with your money? I think it's a brilliant question we should all be asking ourselves. We're going to be speaking just a little bit about contentment. Contentment. Scripture says, now godliness with contentment is much gain. And then next Sunday night we'll carry on and just close off with some more topics relating to money. But as a a fundamental, a foundation, not only leading up to that, leading hopefully for the the rest of our lives, because just backtrack a little bit, the reason I wanted to start speaking about about finances in churches, just started speaking to a couple of people in church, Christians, passionate about Christ, who are just struggling with financial issues. Just little things here and little things there and started looking at their finances and started helping them and was just struck by the complete ignorance with regards to what the Bible and Scripture holds before us when it comes to finances. And the reason is because the world tells the church the church is not allowed speaking about money. So obviously Christians aren't going to know what the Scripture says about money because half of us don't read our Bibles. And the few who do, we don't spend time thinking about it as much as God speaks about it because that, that, that's, God doesn't go there. And I really believe that God would have us address it, speak into this, come to a place of understanding that He would have us as Christians have healthy relationship with finance and with money. Have incredibly healthy relationship with what He does give us what He places in our hand. And we're going to see just, obviously I can't bring out all the scriptures, there's way too many, you can open your Bible, any page it talks about money probably. And we're going to just highlight just a, a couple of scriptures that just relate some foundational scriptures, just some, some fundamentals. And the first one is really crucial. First fundamental is all of this money is God's. Whether it's Naira, whether it's Mauritian, what did they have? Rupees or whatever they had, what did they have? Rupees. Whether it's South African Rand, whether it's US dollars, whether it's shillings, whatever it may be, it's all His. And Scripture says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. In the context that He's speaking about, He's speaking about money. He's saying all of the wealth, it belongs to me. And you know the flip side of that coin, if excuse the pun? It's not yours. Yeah, something healthy to do from time to time is to take out the money in your wallet or to log into your internet banking or however you do it and to look at it and to see how much or how little there is. Maybe it's a couple of cents, maybe it's a bit more. And to say, God, none of this is mine. It's all yours anyway. Also encouraged by a story of John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church. At one stage, I mean, the guy was just incredible the way he preached with such passion. He was preaching and he was just traveling all over 
And people came, they said, excuse me, Mr. Wesley, we've got really bad news for you. Your house is burnt down. And he looked at them and he said, no, no, you got that wrong. It's not my house, it's God's house. And that's just one less thing for me to worry about. I so love that purity of thought for him to know, first of all, it's not his. Second of all, to know that while God has entrusted it, entrusted it, it, entrusted it to him, he'd better be looking after it really well. But if it's gone, it's just some one less thing that he needs to worry about. One less thing that he needs to steward. One less thing that he needs to give an account for. One less thing that God's going to ask him one day, what did you do with that house? It's all his. Psalm 24 verse 1, The earth is the Lord and all of its fullness. The world and those who dwell therein. Everything on this earth is God's. Just as an aside here, who here is already a salary income earning person? I'm assuming the rest of you are all unemployed. Students. Isn't it pretty great? Student. It means I'm unemployed, but my parents are proud. (laughs) And obviously for those of you who are earning income already, this is very relevant where you are now. For those of you who one day are going to earn income, I'm going to encourage you to come next Saturday as well. Because in the same way that a relationship week is an investment into a future relationship, even if you're not in a relationship yet, understanding finances and giving a good relationship with finances is important now already. But as you just grow in the finances that you're working with, as you grow, you start earning salaries, starting up companies, becoming multi-gazillionaires. It'll be healthy if you have a good relationship with finances from the beginning. It's much easier stewarding a good relationship than trying to renew an existing relationship. So the first one to understand, it's all God's. That 10 rand that's in your pocket, it's not yours. That car that you're going to drive home, it's not yours. Most of you say, I know, it's my dad, but it's not his either. It's all God's. And that's just such a mind shift that, we just, that I continuously have to remind myself. Because I want to get clingy about the stuff. Oh, it's mine, I worked so hard for this. No, it's God's. He lets me steward it. In other words, it's his. He owns it. He lets me take care of it for a while, but it's still his. And if he wants to take it back, he can take it back whenever he wants. He can break it, destroy it, do whatever he wishes. It's all his. A second fundamental, just maybe addressing some misperceptions that some of us may have. Just at the same time, I'm geared here tonight. I think I've got about seven liters of water. So whoever's on setup, thank you. We can carry on until 2 o'clock tomorrow morning. But from time to time, I might call, might call the band up for one song while I run off quickly. The second one, money isn't evil. And neither is having it. There's a perception in church that sort of says on the one pole that money is bad, money is evil, don't go near money, money is going to just kill you, money is just the worst thing that's ever happened to this earth. And then there's the other side of the coin again, the other side of the, the spectrum, which says that money is, oh God is only about money. You turn on the TV and it's all you hear. God wants you to be super rich. He just wants to put another zero in your bank account today. Just pray four prayers and God will just multiply all of the money in your bank account supernaturally. And those are sort of the two poles that we confronted with in church. And obviously neither of them are an accurate representation of the heart of God. But money isn't evil. Scripture says really clearly in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His judgments and His statutes. Lest otherwise, when you have eaten and you are full, you have built beautiful houses, you dwell in them, your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold are multiplied, you've got lots of money, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up, you forget the Lord and then carries on. And verse 18, and you shall remember the Lord your God. Let's go back one verse, verse 17 rather. Then you shall say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the power to get wealth, that He may establish His covenant which He swore 
to your fathers as it is this day. Just one example of God showering money on a people, but the money is not evil. There's nothing wrong with the money. That money in that context is a blessing from God. Money is not inherently evil. And there's a worldview in the church of, no, don't go, no, 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 never get rich. Just stay away from money. Money is evil. It's called asceticism, which sort of says that the highest form of holiness is poverty. And that's not, there's absolutely no scriptural truth in that. Yes, in scripture, God calls a couple of individuals to give what they have and to sell what they have. It's not because he's worried about the money, but he's worried about the hold that those possessions have on those people. And he wants to address uh, imbalance in the relationship. Jesus never said, everybody sell everything you have. He said to a couple of individuals who had an unhealthy relationship with their finances that he wanted to restore. So extreme poverty isn't the highest form of holiness. And the flip side is, neither is extreme wealth the highest form of holiness. God calls each one in a different state, and that's fine. David writes, how long will the unrighteous continue to prosper? Speaking about money. In other words, he's saying there are unrighteous people, but they've got all this money. God, it's not fair. God says, I know it's not fair, but that's the way it is. There are godly people who are rich, and there are ungodly people who are rich. There are godly people who are poor, and there are ungodly people who are poor. And that's something which just we need to make a peace with. That's just the way Scripture has it. I honestly believe that God would not have anybody in poverty. In other words, poverty can be defined in many different ways. The definition I like is, you are poor when you don't have a choice. When I don't have a choice, never mind what I'm going to eat tonight, if I'm going to eat, then I'm poor. If I don't have a choice, not how I'm going to get to work, but if I can get to work because I'm dependent on the buses, and if the bus doesn't run today, I can't get to work. That is a type of poverty. And I honestly believe that God would want to empower not only every believer, but every person with the ability to make choices. Because when Adam and Eve were in the garden, He gave them a choice. But that's sort of completely a little bit off the topic. But that's fine. Money isn't evil. I remember when I was in class one day, I'd sort of just gotten saved and started reading my Bible. And You know how it happens when you start reading your Bible. Some of it gets stuck inside of you, which is pretty cool. And my professor, we were a small class, a really small class, we were like 11 kids in the class or something, misquoted a scripture. And we were actually speaking about money and how to get as filthy stinking rich as you possibly can. And we were studying Warren Buffett and probably one of the richest men in the world. He's an investor and just some of his methodology and stuff. And the professor, Professor Clausen, said something about, yeah, but money is, either, money is evil. Money is the root of all you. And I said, no, I don't think so. He said, no, he thinks so. I said, I don't quite think so. And we had a little bit of a debate there, yeah, like in the movies, yes, no, yes, yes, no, 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 yes, yes, type of thing. I said, okay, well, wait, get a Bible. We got a Bible and we looked and we said, no, money is not the root of all evil. Many of us want to believe, and once again, the devil wants us to think that money is the root of all evil because he wants us to keep, I mean, I can just imagine the devil loves a poor church. Because a poor church is a church with no options. Can you imagine if we didn't have financial constraints and we could just say, guys, great Sunday night, this Sunday we're not preaching, but we all, we've got these great buses we hired, we're all going for the next week, none of you have to work because we'll just pay for you for the whole week as well because we don't have financial problems. We're just going to go to Mamalodi and we're going to build houses for a week. All of us just build houses. We've got all the material. Can you imagine how awesome that would be for a church that isn't constrained by finances? And obviously, I think the devil understands this as well. And that's why he wants us just to think that money is bad and money is evil. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from which some, having strayed from their faith in their greediness, and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Greediness, love of money, is a root of all kinds of evil. Do you know it's possible to be very rich and completely unselfish, non-greedy. It's very rich and not to have a love of, possible to be very rich and not have a love of money at all. That's very possible. 
I know a couple of people like that. Scripture is very clear. But money isn't evil. Money in itself. In the same way, money doesn't corrupt. Who's ever heard that? Money corrupts. Who's maybe even prayed, God, please don't give me too much money because it's going to corrupt me. Anyone ever prayed that? A couple of... Who's heard that prayer? Go home and repent of that prayer. It's an ungodly, unbiblical prayer. Because money nor power don't corrupt. They simply amplify what is already on the inside. 1 Timothy chapter 5, sorry, Luke 16. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. We'll see a little bit later. He's speaking specifically there about finances, money. And Jesus is just illustrating a really powerful principle here that money and power, and as it grows, it just amplifies what is already in your heart. If integrity and righteousness and purity is hidden in your heart, then an increase of power and an increase of money will just amplify the integrity and the holiness and the purity and righteousness. If unrighteousness and corruption is sown in your heart, then what will happen? That unrighteousness and that corruption will just be amplified. It doesn't all of a sudden shift away everything that's been put in your heart and now stick in this whole bunch of ungodliness when you get a big job that suddenly starts paying well. You're still the same person with the same stuff inside. The same strengths and the same weaknesses. If those weaknesses happen to be financial weaknesses, then you seriously need to make a plan around that. You seriously need to get some people around and say, pray for me, support me, come have a look at my finances every day, I don't care, but this is not a, I know this is an area of weakness. This is an area that I struggled in with 10 rand, so I can be sure I'm going to struggle in with 10 million. But help me to do this the right way, in righteousness. And that's why I'm so encouraged by those of you, especially who aren't income earners yet, because you can now already begin to build and establish righteousness and integrity and healthy financial discipline in your life, so that if God does the... He's not going to do it to all of us, let's just be realistic about that. But if... God does begin to expand and just pour finances and just incredible amount of money into your life for whatever reason, that your heart and the integrity and the righteousness and the discipline is already settled. When it comes to giving, as an example, you know, if you've got a 500 rand a month allowance, then giving 50 rand is a heck of a lot easier then when you're earning 10,000 rand for the first time and now you have to give 1,000 rand or 1,000 rand every month, well, that's what Scripture says. Okay, fine. But if you've learned in that discipline to grow from 50 rand to 60 rand as your allowance to 200 rand as you got your first little job earning 2,000 rand a month or whatever it is, then the step up, the discipline is so much easier than this big chunk that God would suddenly call you to. But money doesn't corrupt. Just laying some fundamentals here. The fourth one, And this is one that we really need to get a grips with. Money is profoundly spiritual. I'm going to expand on that a a lot in sort of the second half of tonight. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. One of the scriptures that's sort of really intimidating. If anyone does not provide for his own, speaking about finances, putting food on the table, just physical provision, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Now, Not the quote of a person, not just a nice idea. This is scripture. 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his own household, he is worse than an unbeliever and is denied the faith. Those are hard words relating to money. Hard words where God says that this money thing is incredibly spiritual. If you want to be a good Christian, make sure you're providing for your family. That's what he's saying. He's saying, flip side, you can't be a good Christian and want to be out evangelizing the whole world if you're not providing for your family. Because you're denying the faith. You are worse than an unbeliever. And if you go look into a little bit about that, because Scripture is very clear about the morality and integrity of hard work and labor. And Scripture 
go read some Proverbs things about laziness. I remember a couple of years ago, I spoke about laziness and Chris doing the sign at the back came to me afterwards because I quoted some scripture about as a door turns on its hinges, so is a man who pushes the snooze button. You know? He's just lying in his bed all day. He's absolutely worth nothing. I remember he came to me afterwards and said, well, it's like a bit of a heavy scripture type of thing. But when it comes to work and the work ethic, and Michal will probably touch on that a little bit next week, God expects a work ethic from Christians. God has never called any Christian to laziness. As a matter of fact, I happen to think that God calls Christians and expects us to work harder than anyone else. Not work ourselves to death and not work sort of in the flesh as such, but to have a commitment to work and to purity and to integrity. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Scripture holds before us. But a hard scripture, 1 Timothy 5 verse 8. Another one, Matthew 6 24. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. God says, you can serve mammon. Money is spiritual. But you cannot serve both God and mammon at the same time. It's one or the other. Money and our relationship with money, the way we deal with money, is inherently spiritual. And we as a church and as churches of Christ need our eyes open to get onto this page. Because as long as we're thinking money is just this natural stuff, this paper thing that just walk around in our pocket with, and some of us wish we walked around in our pocket with, as long as we've got this natural and world, naturalistic worldview picture of the money that God holds before us, we're never going to tap into that which He would have us engage with when it comes to money. There's an incredible spiritual power when it comes to money. We're going to look at that spiritual power just now. Just the last fundamental before we carry on. Mark 12, verse 41. Has anyone ever wondered if Jesus were to walk into this church where he'd sit? What seat would he take? Mark 12 gives us a glimpse. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus made a deliberate point to go and sit somewhere so that he could see who was putting what in. This is the story with those Pharisees and all the rich people coming to put in all the money. And the one widow comes and she puts in her little two cents, literally. And Jesus says, you know that woman put in more than anybody else? And they're like, no man, Jesus, you're clueless. Did you see? And he says, yeah, yeah. It's not about the value that you put in, the monetary term, the nominal value that's written on the banknote. It's what it means to her in her heart, what she has given. She has given her absolutely everything. They just gave the abundance. Not that there's wrong with that, but this giving of everything, God smiles upon that. But the point that I want to make here is God isn't ambivalent to your finances. He isn't, doesn't care or do with your money whatever you happen to be doing with your money. He's actively watching what you are doing with your money. He's actively interested in it and he's actively engaged in looking at your money. Possibly a lot more engaged than many of you are. But anyway. Luke 12. We said money doesn't have value but it's extremely important. I want us to look, just lay those five fundamentals. Just, I think they're just important that we just settle those things before we build on in the, the coming week and the coming seminar can build upon those, but two things. Why is money so profoundly important in our lives? What makes it so spiritual, or maybe put otherwise, what is the spiritual dimension that is so profoundly at work behind money? Behind the finances, behind the rands and cents that we work with on a day-to-day business. And in Luke chapter 12, we, we get a glimpse. It's the same story that we read in Matthew chapter 6. I just chose to read the Luke 12 one because we all know the Matthew 6 one really well. But he said to his disciples, therefore I say, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. Don't worry about your, your, what you're going to eat or your clothing. In other words, don't worry about the money because you need the money to go buy the food and you need the money to go buy the clothing. So he's saying, don't worry where that's going to come from. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? 
And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after. And your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Important passage because in the world, most of us probably think that that which I'm passionate about, I'm going to spend my money on. That which is in my heart and which is important to me, I'm going to spend my money on. And scripture comes and he gives us such a powerful, important principle that we must understand here. I don't know if you can see it, maybe it's a little bit high, but the heading there is money directs your heart. Money directs your heart. I read the whole preamble just so you can get an idea that God is very much speaking about money here. But then he says in verse 34, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Money has got this weird spiritual power that God has ordained that I can take my money and I can place my money somewhere where I want my heart to be and my heart will follow my money. What does that mean? That means that your budget, which you should have if you don't, go home and draw up one, repent, and then make one. Your budget is a profoundly spiritual document. Because your budget is a barometer of your intended priorities. Your budget is a barometer of God. These are the things that I choose to have as important in my life. That's my budget. So what do I do? For those of you who have never drawn up a budget, it's really not rocket science. You go and you sit down and you say, I get 500 rand a month. Okay? I want to spend 2,000 rand a month. That's a problem. So God, help me decide. What are the things in my life that are most important? The first most important thing is, okay, I'll write that how much, okay? And you fall, when you get to 500, you know what? Then you stop. That then you say, none of the rest of the stuff is going to happen. Because I cannot afford it. Words that we hate speaking, and on Saturday morning specifically, I'm going to spend time speaking about this, because Scripture says, godliness with contentment is much gain. There's an incredible amount of gain that comes into our lives when we say, wow, that iPod looks really nice, but I don't need it. Or I'd it really would be cool if I, I can just see how my studies are going to be so much better if I get a new iPad, but I can't afford it. So I walk on. One of the biggest travesties in the Christian church today is just our complete whacked understanding about debt. And I just want to say just really straight to everybody here, just in a way that hopefully none of you can possibly misunderstand, that apart from buying something that you can sell again for at least the same value, we call that secured debt, you shouldn't enter into any other debt whatsoever. And I think I'll add study debt. That's pretty safe as well. As far as possible, stay away from it, but if you have to, then I mean, I don't think God's got a problem with that. But any other form of debt, don't go there. Scripture says, owe no man anything except to love him. And I think he, God implied there as well, oh, no bank anything either. I really want to say to this as young people, some of you are starting to work and there's this upward mobility, I must be cooler than my buddy thing, so now I'm going to buy this on loan. If you can't afford it, then you cannot 
afford it. Make a peace with it. Say, thank you, God. I have got all things that pertain to life and godliness, and that thing doesn't pertain to life or godliness, so I can carry on without it. God, I really, I, this thing is really going to take my company to a new level if I can get this in my company. So God, will you provide? Okay, I'll provide for you. Once I've provided, then you can. But unsecured debt, not the way to go. You're going to just cause yourself a lot more heartache than anything else. Budgets are barometers of your intended priorities. A couple of months, feels like a couple of months ago, it could have been a bit longer. Our finances just went through, Janet and our finances just went through a bit of a dip. It just felt like suddenly everything was just going wrong. One month, tire bursts, battery goes, this, this, just all of a sudden, just everything happens in this one month and our finances like, gluk. And I was like, God, what's going on? And then I went to sell, and at sell, I shared with the guys, because that's what we do at sell. We share our lives with one another, and we have other people pray for us, and we're just vulnerable to each other. And we said, this finance thing this month, I don't know what's going on. Please pray for us. And then as they prayed for us, the Holy Spirit just showed me, or oh, I can't remember while I was speaking, ah, oh, I know what happened. Because when Inet and I got married, those of you who still need to get married, you'll realize that when you get married, your whole life changes. In a pretty cool way. But financially, your life changes too. Because when you're by yourself, you sort of have an idea what's going on in your finances. Now, all of a sudden, there's two of us. It's not good or bad, but I mean, how does this affect our groceries? Because Yaneta buys this much a month, and I'm a, my, when I'm by myself, I buy this much a month. But logic tells me that our groceries now aren't just going to be the two of those added together, because we're going to double up on some groceries. It just makes sense that way. And a whole bunch of other stuff. We need to figure this out. So what we did for the first couple of months is we got a pen and we got a little book and every cent we spent, we wrote down so that we can just get an idea. We had like a ballpark figure just so we can figure out what's going on in our budget. And then kind of God blessed us and our finances were pretty healthy. It was going well. And then we got lazy about this. And guess what happened when we got lazy? Our finances went... And we were praying there and suddenly I realized... Okay, maybe we must just start writing down again. You know what happened when we started writing everything down again? Miraculously, our finances just sorted themselves out. We didn't do anything different. We didn't change so much about the way we were spending money. It's just as if those big holes that just came and gulped our money, it's all of a sudden those holes were just filled up suddenly. I want to encourage you to get into the habit of budgeting. It's a profoundly spiritual thing. If nothing else, if there's no other reason why you should budget, Think about it this way. If I came to you and I happen to win the lotto and I've got like 100,000 bucks or whatever, and I come to you and I say, Vainant, here's 100,000 bucks, look after this for me, please. And then I go do a whole bunch of stuff and six months later I come to Vainant, I say, Vainant, let's talk about my 100,000 rand. And Vainant, yeah, about that. I don't actually know where it is or kind of what's up with it. I know you gave it to me and you said I could spend some of it, but I don't know what I did with it. Sorry. Do you think I'm going to give him another cent? No, not at all. As a matter of fact, I'm going to say, flip it, make a plan and just give back to me what you can find. How much more if God gives us finances, should we at least be able to tell him what we've done with it? When God, Scripture says, he's going to ask us to give an account, which is like a financial term, for every deed done on this earth, I submit it's probably going to involve what we did with our finances. And if we haven't been thinking about it, planning it, and I know as students we just look in the bank account and we just happen to be happy-go-lucky. But I want to encourage you to change that discipline to have a disciplined spiritual financial life. In other words, where you say, this God is my budget. In other words, Lord, this is where I choose to have my priorities. And I know right now I don't actually have a passion to see the lost get saved. But I'm going to give money for the cause of seeing the lost saved because I know my heart will follow if I do this. Lord, this is something that's important to you and it's not really important to me, so I'm going to make it important to me by putting it in my budget. One of the very first things I did when I took over the, the reins of the church is I sat down with the account and I said, mm, let's change some things here. First thing we change is every month we as a church put money aside specifically for the cause of missions and church planting. Because if that's going to be central to us as a church, it's better reflect in our finances. 
And I understand that if I put our finances in there as a church, God's going to do something supernatural about our hearts because where our treasures, our heart will follow. There's a spiritual principle that our heart, our finances directs and leads our heart. Those of you who are going to be in relationship, obviously not just go out for a coffee here and there, but when that relationship becomes more formal and you get married, don't tell your wife you love her, you care for her, she's special to you if your budget doesn't say that too. If your budget doesn't say, I love you, I care for you, you're special, he has money to prove to you that I love you and I care for you, then you're not passionate about that, then you're not really committed to it. In the same way, if you want to know what you're passionate and committed about, just go back one month, go fetch your historical accounting records, what have I spent money on, and that'll tell you exactly what you're passionate about. Too many of us walk around deceived, thinking we're passionate about something, but we're just deceiving ourselves. Because we're not spending time or money on it, and if you're not spending time or money on it, your treasure's not in it, then I promise you your heart's not going to be in it. Your head might want your heart to be there, but your heart isn't. If you want your heart to be in something, start by putting your money in that thing. Your heart will follow. It's a spiritual truth. Why is money important? Because money directs your heart. What I'm spending money on, that's going to lead where my heart's going. If you struggle, and you know this kind of pride and selfishness in your heart, you know how you change that? Change your budget. You don't have to buy a new bigger screen every TV every month. You don't have to spend luxury on yourself every month. Start giving and giving sacrificially. Your heart will follow. And the second one is in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. Oh, sorry, we read that just now. My bad. Second one is Luke 16. That's what I'm looking for. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much. He who is unjust in what is least is unjust also in much. We spoke about this just now. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you the true riches? Your money reveals your heart. Remember just now I said God is watching? God is watching. Some of you are saying, God, please use me. God, please multiply the work of my hands. God, please open this door. God, give me this breakthrough. And you think he's looking at everything except your money. But scripture says the one thing he is looking for is your money. What's that verse 11? If you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, in money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? God says this money thing is so vitally important because it shows me what is in your heart. If you cannot be faithful in money, then Scripture said God isn't really not going to trust you with very much. But if you demonstrate and show financial discipline, if you demonstrate and show the ability to work with finances, with money, to be faithful in that which God leads you to, then God says, oh, this person I can trust. I can trust him with people. I can trust him with visions. I can trust him with gifts. I can trust him with the stuff that's true riches, the stuff that's not going to perish in the fire. The stuff that's not one day, you know, you're standing in the queue. You get to the judgment seat eventually, because I know it's a long queue because there are billions of people, but it's eternity. So you get to the front eventually, and you take out your 100 trillion US dollars. Huh? And God looks at that and says, nah, it doesn't mean anything up here. It's not true riches. The guy behind you takes out the true riches, the crown, the treasures that is laid up and stored up himself in heaven. And God says, he's not going to trust us with that stuff, the stuff that really matters, until we get the money right. Because to him, the money is something that he has instituted, he has planned, he has put on this earth since the beginning of time has been money. Not in the format we've known it, but there's always been some form of money. To test and to reveal what is in our hearts. I want to encourage you, if you're not yet budget, forward-looking, intended priorities. But your actual accounting records, your financial records, they are a barometer of your actual priorities. Go 
Get your bank statements. Get your bank. What am I spending my money on? That is what you are at the moment is your priority. Change it. How do you change it? Well, you change it by changing what you spend your money on. Charles Spurgeon said so beautifully. He said, the problem with a lot of Christians is that their pocket is the last thing to get sanctified. Martin Luther said there are three conversions that every Christian must go through. A conversion of the heart, a conversion of the mind, and a conversion of the purse, the wallet. Because there's something in this world that has us think that this money thing is separate to this God thing. And God today wants to have us understand, no, 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 no. They are very, very much interlocked in a way that you probably haven't thought of before. In a way that God says, you want to show yourself faithful? Yes, go to intercession. Yes, do all the, the church stuff, the Christian stuff. But not at the expense of being faithful in your finances. If you want God to commit to you the true riches, you know where the great place to start is? Your money. So we, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to spend time just unpacking this and hopefully giving some more practical things. I know I haven't given any practical examples so much and practical how-tos, but I also know that most of you here have the Spirit of God inside of you. And I know that if you go with an understanding, God, that this is yours, that God, I don't have to be afraid of money because money isn't evil, that money isn't going to corrupt me. Lord, that you are watching this money. If you go with that understanding and you just apply just a little bit of common sense, you'll probably get to the right answer. But more than anything else, this afternoon or this evening, what I'm trusting God for is that by the time you walk out here, you understand the profound spiritual power that that money in your hand and the money in your wallet has. The reality is, if you are going to buy shoes or CDs, etc., 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 that's what you're going to spend your money on. There's nothing wrong with buying it from time to time. We'll speak about that on Sunday morning. But if that's what you're going to be focusing your money on, guess where your heart's going to be? In the mall, in the shopping center, at the designer. And if that is where you want your heart to be, that's fine. But if you have a stirring in your heart that God would have your heart be on some other stuff, it starts by realigning your budget. It starts by sitting in front of the computer, opening up the Excel sheets, taking the pen and the paper, however you choose to do it, and say, God, come, you and me, let's talk about your money. Because I'm a steward looking after that God which you have embraced and trusted me with. I want to do it your way. So I'm going to ask the ushers to pass the offering bags around. I thought it's the longest offering message you've ever heard in your life. And as they give, as they go past, please don't give because you now feel all condemned and all bad. Don't feel, don't give for any other reason that you feel this is what God wants you to do with His money. Today, to sow it here. And for some of you, God's going to speak to you about giving and making a commitment to His house and to His church. And if God says that to you, that's fine. I wasn't going to share this. I just feel the Holy Spirit leading me. A couple of years ago, I had the privilege of, just while the offering being taken up, I had the privilege of going across to Atlanta to the Passion Conference with a good friend of mine. And we were sitting there and it was just an awesome time just seeing God move and I just loved every moment. Those of you not a familiar Passion Conference is Louis Giglio and Chris Tomlin and Charlie Hall and um, David Crowder and a whole bunch of just really cool people that I enjoy their ministry very much. And the last night we were there and Louis was sharing and he was speaking about this world tour they're going to do. And something in my heart just... And then they brought down these banners with all of the universities that they were represented, just from the roof, just thousands of universities. There were 22,000 people there that year at the conference. And at the bottom, because it was all alphabetical, and I looked and I looked because I filled on my form, University of Pretoria, and there was University of Pretoria. And I was like, yes, this is pretty cool. And then they brought in the banners of the names of the city where they, cities where they wanted to do the world tour. And there was Johannesburg, and there was Cape Town. And I was so excited and my heart just jumped. And they said, listen, 
we're going to take up an offering for everyone who wants to contribute to this world tour thing because they're just kicking it off and there's like a whole bunch of money that they need to spend and they don't have money but they know God's in there so He'll provide. And I'm not saying this to boast at all, just to show you just a little bit of this principle. And as it came past, I just took my wallet. I didn't even look how much was in my wallet. I didn't care. I just opened it and shook out every cent and I said, God, all I know is I want to be part of this thing that's happening here. I don't know how or what, God. I just know this is a God thing and I want to be part of it. So we came back and about a year later or so, Facebook started, just to give you an idea, time-wise, when this was. So I'm on Facebook there, and this passion thing is still beating in my heart, and I see there are a whole bunch of Americans on this Facebook thing. So I started a group. Back then, groups were the thing to do. If you wanted anything to do, you started a Facebook group. And the first Facebook group I ever started was Bring Passion to South Africa. Sort of just as a joke to see how the thing works. A couple of days later, I get this message from these people in Atlanta saying they want to bring the passion thing to South Africa as part of the world tour. Don't I want to help them? I was like, this is just crazy. I just thought it was a Facebook group and now they're contacting me and asking me to help them. So I helped them from this side and we did a whole bunch of their marketing and got their volunteers and everything going. The next, so then the conference comes here in Johannesburg and I'm just helping with the Johannesburg stuff and I just help, I'm just there the night just helping volunteers, just doing kind of what we do at church every Sunday. And the evening goes well and afterwards the head of sort of the logistical department comes to me and says, this was really cool having you. Don't you want to come with us to Cape Town? I'm like, I actually got to go to work tomorrow and stuff. But I'll get back to you. Just give me a, a moment. So I pick up my phone and I phone Ross or Heinrich, whoever was my boss at the time, and say, listen, this is the deal. What do you say? Yeah, sure, go. Right there, they buy plane tickets for me, everything. Fly me down to Cape Town. Spend two days with Cape Town. Just incredible, just helping them serve. I thought that was really cool and that was the end of it. And then, middle of this year, I get another email. Hey, we're looking at doing another tour in South Africa again. Don't you want to help us? Sure, I'll help you plan. Of course I'll help you plan. My heart's in this. Oh, but you know, what you actually wanted to ask is, don't you want to travel with us for the week that we're in South Africa? Just Louis Giglio and myself and two other people. This was about a month ago. Just spend time with him and just have a whole bunch of crazy fun and do crazy things. It was really cool. And I've always been asking myself, you know, out of everyone God could have picked that night. Not that night, just... I mean, it's not like we were a big church or anything. Why? Out of everybody in this country, they can ask to travel with them, to go show them the venues and to meet up with church leaders, what, 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 ask me. I mean, flip it crazy. Except I know something happened that night when I just took my wallet and I emptied my wallet into the offering basket. It's not something, I never knew this was going to pan out. God knows I never asked them once. I never contacted. All I did was I started a group, Bring Passion to South Africa. Let's see how many people we can... And if we get like 10,000 people here, maybe they'll get excited to bring someone across. That was what I was thinking. And I know God's just busy knitting our, our path together, but I know it started with a money thing. That spiritual dimension that engages when we engage with our finance as God would direct us to engage. Something happens when we take that money and we put that money there where God says we must put that money. There's a connection in the spirit that nothing, I mean, in the natural, it just makes absolutely no sense. But in the spirit, I know there's something that's happening that I can't explain apart from the way that God chooses to use money in our lives. Money is completely valueless. It means nothing in value terms. It can be gone like this. Scripture says it. But it can direct my heart and I can actively direct my heart in certain directions and it will, God will use it to reveal what is in my heart. And now it's just a short testimony of absolutely nothing that I did except be obedient to stirring in my heart when God said, put your money in this thing. And I know for a fact it was probably like $20. What is that, 140, 150? It's not like it was masses. 
It was the last day. We were flying out that night. We were flying back to Africa. It's not like we were stacked loads of money left. It just was the principle of God. Everything I can possibly give, I'm giving her. And God saw that and responded, reacted and responded to that. So I'm going to ask us to stand and the band to come up. And as we do that, there are three groups of people I'd love to pray with tonight. The first one, you're saying, Philip, you know, it's great, this whole money thing and giving it to Jesus and all of that. But I haven't even really surrendered my life to Him. I haven't come to the place where I've just said, God, it's not my life, it's your life, actually, because you bought it. You created it and then you bought it, so it's twice yours. And you've invited Him in to save, to bring you to the place of what the Bible calls, it's like being born again, it's like a new life that starts. And if you haven't had that experience, you haven't had that place where you surrender your life to Jesus, then just now I'm going to ask you to come forward and we want to pray with you. The second group I'm going to ask to come forward is if you're here, I was saying just now about people having been filled with the Holy Spirit. If you haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, as we see in the book of Acts where Peter, the scared guy who's running away, who when Jesus gets crucified is nowhere near him, denies that he ever knew him. The Holy Spirit comes upon him and that same Peter stands up in front of the city and proclaims who Jesus is. Because of the life-transforming power of the Holy Spirit inside of him. If you've never received the Holy Spirit, we want to pray for you to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And then the third group is, if you hear, God has been speaking to you about this money thing. Maybe even before tonight, but sort of tonight's cherry on the cake of what he's been speaking to you about. Either in just surrendering and saying, God, this wallet, where's my wallet? I hope I've got it here. Lord, this wallet and everything in it, as pretty as these, what are they? Lions are, these rhinos. It's not mine anyway, God. God, I'm just realizing that I'm giving it back to you because it's yours. Maybe that's you and you need to do that tonight. Maybe you know you have just been so unfaithful in unrighteous mammon. You've been trusting God for great things and you wanted to do amazing things through you and with you, but you just know you're not being faithful with the money that he's given you. It's not an ownership thing, it's just a faithfulness thing. And you want to come and just say, God, we... I'm making a stand today to fix that. Or thirdly, if God just convicted you about the budgeting and the record-keeping thing. I know it sounds stupid, but I just, I shared the testimony of my life because I know how profound it is. I had some other people, a couple of people that have helped it from the church side, people just struggling financially. And they come and we talk through them and we pray and obviously we help them financially where we can. But almost all of them, when they've just started budgeting and keeping record, it's like all of a sudden, miraculously, the finances are just working. It's not like they're earning more. There's just financial discipline in actually making what I've budgeted and what I'm spending actually be the same thing. Because some of us suck with that a little bit. You've got this great budget, but what I'm actually spending my money on, it's not the same. And maybe tonight, just God's been stirring in your heart about that. And as we sing this song in in closing, I'm going to ask you to come forward if any of those, if you need to surrender your life to Jesus, you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or you just want to do business with God about this finances thing. As we sing this song, I'm going to ask you to come forward and quickly and pray with you. Then after we've done this thing, this song, I'm going to pray a blanket prayer with all of us just about this finances thing. We'll be praying for the people in front specifically, but then for everyone else as well. So don't do this tonight just because I'm not asking you because I want to pick up the call. It's not about that. It's about, I believe God's wanting to stir something in His church. He wants to take us somewhere so special and so pure. But there's this thing that if we are unfaithful with unrighteous mammon, how is God going to commit to us as a church the true riches? And that's what I'm after. I'm after the true riches. But I know God's not going to give us the true riches if we're not faithful with the money, the money, the rand and the cents. So the reason we 
doing this tonight and the reason we're doing this in the next week, next weekend. So I believe this is something on God's heart that He wants to restore. He wants to, first of all, stop the killing, stealing, and destroying in our finances through ignorance. And then He wants to position us as a church to give us the true riches. Amen. So if that's you, feel free to come forward and we just sing this. listening to this message from Shofar Christian Church. We believe that it was time well spent establishing God's kingdom and proclaiming His glory in your life. For more information, call us on 012-362-1363 or email us at pretoria at shofaronline.org. You may also wish to browse our website at www.shofaronline.org or find us on facebook.com forward slash Pretoria. There is